Well, welcome back, everyone, to the Whitetail Theories Podcast, Deer Camp Tour Edition, Episode 5. We got Johnny Wagner on the mic, uh, Regional Director for Region 12. What's happening, Johnny? Oh, nothing much. Been up here uh, elk hunting. We're in southeast Wyoming, kind of in the Snowy Range area. Uh, been on elk the last couple of days. Uh, my buddy took his first elk last weekend, actually with his bow but other than that we're right now just sitting on top of the mountain with a spot and scope and chatting with you awesome so literally in the field uh just glassing up elk and uh doing a podcast at the same time so we might have to cut this short if uh you glass something good up huh yeah hopefully right now we're looking for deer mainly we had a couple good rain squalls come through the last couple of days and got everything cooled down we got a nice cool breeze coming through and Deer have been moving pretty much all day. We've jumped a lot of does and a couple smaller bucks. And then we've seen some 200-inch mule deer, but they were in the wrong area as we were coming out from an elk, elk hunt. So. Jeez. So let's kind of start from the beginning here a little bit, John. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, how you kind of got into hunting, uh, some of just your background information. All right. Well, I was born in Laramie, Wyoming. Well, lived about 40 miles north of Laramie for most of my life. My dad and pretty much everyone in my family elk hunted my whole life. And it got me pretty much started into it from a really young age. I mean, I was in a car seat wired to my dad's backpack brain when I first started going hunting with him. Jeez. So it's it's never been something that was just, oh, you know, I, I might want to do that in life. It was something I knew that I wanted to do every moment I had. I remember in an elementary school and the teachers knew September 1st half the kids in school were going to start taking off for hunt and stuff like that I mean opening day every year for archery is always September 1st um so that's how I pretty much got into it I never really had much of a choice I guess and I never really wanted to make a change so I started calling elk when I was about seven I've been hunting elk and mule deer since I was 12 on my own tags so I've been fortunate enough to take deer every year pretty much until last year with my bow and still trying to work on uh, elk with my bow. It's been 13 years going. I still haven't gotten elk with my bow. So that's a challenge. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. So let's let's talk about kind of the, uh, the nuances of Wyoming. Wyoming is kind of a, a unique state to hunt in in the fact that uh, do they have any over-the-counter for non-reses? Um, to an extent. So we have what's called our leftover tags and that's for limited quota areas or limited quota tags overall, where you can buy the leftovers and they're usually reduced price tags. So one area that we hunt for cows is prime example, area six in Wyoming, which is owned by Cheyenne. There's like what, 1100 cow tags given out every year. And obviously, they're not going to fill that quota. There's still leftover tags to this moment where someone can go buy a cow tag and go out and hunt Area 6. And But overall, it's 95% draw or limited quota for a non-resident. Whereas a resident, we can buy an over-the-counter general tag. And it covers, I want to say, at least 45% of the state is general elk hunter. Gotcha. That's pretty sweet. So I would, I would think that's got to kind of really eliminate or at least prevent a lot of non-resident out-of-state pressure is that correct um 
Not exactly. So I don't know the exact numbers, but if I remember right, that a lot of the limited quota units um, are 50-50. 50% go to non-residents, 50% go to residents. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, on a general elk tag, I mean, there's no there's no quota. There's no one that says that, you know, we have too many people hunting in this area. You can't hunt it. So we got a lot of guys that come up here. Like, I think just today we've seen Louisiana and Colorado and a couple of other states that are people are up here hunting because it takes about three years to draw a general tag. But if, you know, a thousand people have been putting in for three years and draw a general tag, that means those thousand people can go hunt in the general unit in the state. Gotcha. Gotcha. So when you draw a, a general tag, you're good for any general unit. You're not limited to one unit. Yeah, I'm not limited to one unit. So right now where we're sitting, we're in a, in a general unit and just uh, kind of southwest from us is a limited quoted unit, but we hunt uh, on the border of two different general units here in Wyoming. So if I want to hunt down around Laramie where I'm from, a lot of that's general. Uh, where I took my big bull back in 2019 was up in Lander, Wyoming, and that's a general unit as well. So, I mean, it, it's kind of nice a lot around like Jackson and stuff like that. It's a lot of general. So, I mean, if elk hunt's not panning out down here, we can we can move sections in the state yeah. and go to another. That's really nice because I know when I went to Idaho, you were limited to um, an elk management unit, and that might have three units, that might have four units within it, and that's all you could. That's all you had. You would have to buy another tag for another unit. Yeah, and see, limited quota tags. Um, prime example, the closest one to us right now is Area Eleven. In Area Eleven is a limited quota so i think there's like 75 tags given out a year and that's what's given out i mean i can't go in there and hunt unfortunately because that'd be an awesome tag to have but other than that i mean as long as there's that's a fine line of general and uh, limited quota yeah and with limited quota you know you're confined to the single unit just like a lot of other states gotcha. whereas with like our mule deer tags we have region tags and because I'm not positive, it's kind of hard to explain with not being a non-resident, but I know we have uh, region tags, and region tags break it down into sections of the state that you can hunt. Gotcha, gotcha. Excluding certain areas, like uh, region G, which is can over by the Idaho border, if I remember correctly, is one that's really sought after. And there's quite a few general units for a resident I could go up and hunt it, but as a non-resident you put in for that region tag gotcha okay that makes sense i understand it uh so can you kind of paint the picture as to what the the elk herd looks like in wyoming uh and and break it down from a general tag to a limited draw tag as well uh, i know you guys obviously have wolf issues out there you got grizzlies we'll dive into that here a little bit later down the podcast but for a person that's coming out of state or potentially just going to be hunting Wyoming for the first time, what's what can they expect? Um, I, that just really depends on the part of the state that you go to. Um, where I went around Lander, there's a lot of elk, but the geographics of it make it very, very hard to find elk. I mean, the timber was so thick, even rifle hunting, you only had maybe 20 yards of shoot. Wow. 
and it was super, super steep, rough terrain. And there's a lot of places around here that just don't hold the elk like a lot of other places. Like the one uh, area where we cow hunt in Area 6, they estimate there's up to 1,200-plus head of elk in one area. And it's hard to say because, I mean, we go from mountains to plains in a matter of four or five miles. Mm-hmm. And so it's really hard to say. I mean, most general units you get into elk, but you have to deal with a lot of pressure and other hunters and stuff like that. Whereas, like, limited quota unit, there's usually a lot of elk in these limited quota units, or they house bigger elk. Um, and that makes it to where you don't have to compete so much with so many other people. Sure. Now, when you are looking at a limited uh, draw unit, what are you looking for as far as points till you potentially get get drawn on something like that? Every unit is different. There's a gentleman I know from Georgia who's been putting in for an area over by Casper in the Shirley Mountains, and he's been putting in for 10 years and has never drawn the tag. Now, the way that it works for your draw, is it a true lottery or uh – do you need to hit like Part a minimum amount of preference points? And then at that point, it all depends on how many tags they have allotted for that unit. It goes both ways. It's part lottery and part uh, off your preference points. So as a resident, we don't actually get preference points towards tags unless it's use tags or big one sheet. Gotcha. gotcha so gotcha. as a non-resident, they get preference points. And with preference points, they can, I mean, your preference points apply to all areas. It's not just the one unit. So if someone had been putting in for a unit and they hadn't drawn it, they've been putting in for six years and they said, you know what? I just want to go and I want to go hunt elk. And they put in for a general tag. There's like a 95% chance they will draw that general tag. Gotcha. Granted, some of them are given through lottery and some of them are given through your point system. And oh. I don't know what the exact numbers on how they break them down on. Gotcha. Okay. So, uh, can you kind of paint the picture as far as like what uh what the herd dynamics are as as far as like what's a good representative bull for a a general draw tag? Um, so size wise, probably a lot of good bulls is just a six point. A lot of people just call no no one really scores a whole lot down around where I'm from. Okay, you know, at least in my family, I I couldn't tell. I can't look at an elk and tell you how big it is, but I know three where we're at right now, 300 is actually really respectable size for a bull. And obviously that bull I shot, Landers scored 325. And according to the locals I talked to up there, they said it was actually a very large size elk for the areas, even though there's been 400-inch bull elk shot a couple hours away from there. Yeah, it's weird how it's so dependent upon like the location, the food, the water, the whole deal on mm-hmm. on size, right? Like you, yes, you guys have a bad snow year, or you have uh, a bad uh, spring where you don't get a lot of water. That can really affect antler growth. Yes, and right now, what we're noticing with our deer, especially because we haven't really seen too many bull elk out and about or up close to really determine on how the growth is for them. But just from last year to this year, you know, we had that giant fire that came through down here and burnt up most of where we hunt. I mean, it cut out at least half of the area that we normally hunt up here. And But the minerals that were released from the fire and the deer that are coming back into the burn are phenomenal. I mean, 
we've seen more bucks that would be very large for the area within a mile or two of camp than you would see normally all year anywhere else wow. around here. Interesting. Yeah, a, a lot of people don't, I, I guess, so let's talk about the fires and stuff because I know you guys have been getting pretty much wailed on here for a while, the last couple of years, right? Yeah, last couple of years. We have one about 2000, I think 2018 or 2019 that was, I think, close to 50,000 acres. Yeah. And it, it burns up a good section. I mean, it burns across the highway where we hunt, burnt down and towards the Colorado line, burnt over to Colorado just a little bit. But the one that came through last year was over 100,000 acres. I mean, it was huge. And we were actually up here elk hunting when it started. It was pretty sad, pretty pressing. Right in the middle of your vacation, you'd be getting cell service, and everyone asking if you're okay because there's a wildfire going on. You didn't know about it. That's crazy. Yeah, I remember that. I remember you having to boogie out of the mountain because the fire was pushing so close to you guys. Yeah, and it uh, cut our elk season short. We couldn't hunt all rifle deer season up here. And I think it was maybe the last week of rifle elk that we were, anyone was able to get up on one section of the mountain. So it was pretty, pretty slim. And a lot of people got refunds on tags and stuff like that. And it burns all the way down into Colorado. And it was a very spotty fire. It got really hot, killed a lot of trees, but it wasn't. There's some areas that are scorched so bad, there probably won't be grass in until next year. Well, that's what I was just going to ask you. So how, how does it work as far as those wildfires out there? Like, do they get good the very next year? Does it take a couple years? Is it dependent upon how hot the fire gets? Uh, it, it's very dependent on how everything or, or burns. So there's sections in here that burn that are phenomenal right now. They're green all the way through them other than the trees. Mm -hmm. And then there's another area across the highway that burns and or that burns a couple years ago in that last fire we had before the big one. And it's, I mean, there's aspen trees that are six, seven feet tall in there, and you can't even see through them anymore. Yeah, it got that thick. Yeah, I mean, it's it just depends on how hot it burns. There's some sections up here that might take a couple years to grow back because of the heat and how hot it scorched the ground. Mm -hmm. yeah, to the no, point where sure. there's, we used to have thick, super thick timber, and now you can see miles through the timber off the ridges. Well, when those units burn like that, they're pretty much food plots then, aren't they? Because of all that, what was that fresh new growth. Could you repeat that, Torn? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. Oh, no problem. So I said, when those when those areas burn like that, they pretty much turn into food plots then afterwards, right? With how much of uh, green growth they get? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, they, they turn... It's very spotty, unfortunately. Like I said, some areas have grown in phenomenal. Some have, uh, are still pretty black and charred up. But usually they come back in a super dark green and amazing grass. And you find a lot of animals in them, luckily, because we've been hunting around the burn section uh, for elk the last couple of days. And we've been into elk every, every morning and every night. Gotcha. So let's let's kind of talk about how your season's been going so far. So when did you when did you guys start out hunting? Well, we started hunting antelope with archery August fifteenth, but uh, there's nothing harder than hunting an antelope with a bow. I mean, <laughs> I, I hate to put it that way. 
Yeah, that's pretty but, tough. You got to be able to shoot pretty far, huh? It's not even the bar. It's there. An antelope's eyesight is phenomenal, mm-hmm. and they, when they see you, it's it's game over. I mean, they're on a wind sprint. You'll never catch up to them, and there's no point after they start running. So every time we try to do a stalk, they you know either wind us or they catch us. So we kind of changed gears and started uh, going out on our cow tags. And hold on, I let me stop you there. Let me stop you there, John. So how long does the antelope season run for? How long is antelope season this year? Archery is about a month, and the rifle could be anywhere from a month to two. Okay. So, but there is an overlap with the antelope season and then cow elk archery? Uh, our cow elk actually opens for rifle August 15th. Okay, so rifle season. So, yeah. It, now, it's weird how everything starts out here. So normally your antelope starts in August or September. And then it overlaps with your archery for your normal elk tag and uh, deer tag. Then your additional cow can start anywhere from September 1st on your archery permit to August 15th on a rifle. It just depends on the unit. I mean, we have some units that run general for elk anywhere from September 1st all the way up to January 31st. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So it, it's extremely dependent upon the unit. Now, with with that being said, more than likely, you're not hunting antelope in the same area that elk are going to be. Correct? Uh, depends. Okay. Where we were, where our elk tag, our cow tags at right now, that are still valid, is actually where I would normally hunt antelope. Gotcha. We're down in the plains. We're I mean, it's sage country. That's all it is. But there's still elk out there and lots of them. Interesting. So your plains, and that's what's unique about Wyoming too. Like Wyoming literally has everything. I mean, you have like deserts, plains, grassland plains, and then you have like the Rockies, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So you can, depending upon what unit you select, you can hunt whatever terrain you want to hunt. Correct. Now, when you're hunting those plains, how does that work as far as the the elk migration per se? Are they down there relatively all year long? Because I know like Colorado and certain places in Idaho, they're moving up and down the mountains. They're down there pretty consistently. Um, it just depends like where we're at right now. You'll catch elk in the plains. Like I bet if I glass some of the hay meadows down the prairie, property that I can see from where I'm sitting, you could probably find elk down in the bottoms. But on average, the elk are usually up higher during the summer when, you know, where it's cooler. Right. But it just depends. I mean, you got to think there's a uh, unit 100 in Wyoming, the Red Desert. It is literally a desert and there's elk out there year round. Hmm. That's wild. So I mean, it, it's crazy. There's not like a definitive line where this is where your elk hunt starts, and this is where your antelope hunt starts, and this is where your deer hunting is. It's everything intermixes. Like where we're sitting right now, our antelope tag valid for, and we can drive two miles down the road and be hunting antelope where we can still hunt deer and elk all day. That's awesome. That's super cool. It's not like that in the, in some of the other states out west, correct? Um, from my understanding, I haven't got to hunt any other western states, but 
from my understanding, Colorado isn't like that, or like New Mexico, any places like that, I haven't heard of them being similar to this. Yeah. And that might be the allure of Wyoming, because uh, like, I always hear about everybody wanting to go to Wyoming, wanting to go to Wyoming, and it might be the ability to potentially shoot a whole bunch of different animals in uh, the same unit. Yeah, like earlier today, we ran into some gentlemen that are moose hunting right now. <laughs> so we traded some information, and they're up here moose hunting. We, we, my uh, my brother and hunting partner, he saw a 12-pole moose yesterday just out goofing around. That's wild. That's super cool. So, I mean, unfortunately, we're far enough south that we don't get some of the other critters that are more north. Like, I, w I guess I shouldn't say unfortunately. We did see a wolf already this year, but I haven't seen a grizzly up here. And where we're at, because we're only about 30 miles from the Colorado state line, if that. Gotcha. Okay, gotcha. All right. So we're actually really far south in the state. Gotcha. Okay. Whereas if you get up north, I mean, there's, you have the potentials of running into almost everything that Wyoming holds. Yeah. Yeah. Once you start getting up closer to like the, the Yellowstone, or what's that mountain chain up there? Um, uh, start getting up around Jackson and Bondurant and the Tetons and yep. Yep. places like that. You start getting into where, I mean, you can literally see almost every big game animal in the state of Wyoming right through there. That's super cool. Uh, so one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was kind of, uh, again, going back to like the herd dynamics. So how does the rut work out there? Um, what time does it usually show up at? What are some some factors that dictate whether it's going to be a good rut or a bad rut, whether it's going to be nocturnal, whether it's going to, you're going to see some daytime activity, that kind of stuff. You know, Torn, I wish I could give you an honest to God answer on that, but there's no rhyme or reason on why they do what they do up here. Really? I mean, we've had years where they're 100% silent. We have the perfect weather for them to be screaming all day. And, uh, just this year so far, anytime we get a nice little cold snap, they're they're talking, they're trying to herd cows. And a lot of it has to do with uh, weather and where you're at. Like, we can go over to a different unit than we're hunting right now, and it'll be 100% different than what we're what it's like up here. I mean, you can drive five miles up here, and they all won't talk in one spot, but they'll talk in another. There's, like, there's just no rhyme or reason on how, I mean... Everyone wants to focus around the rut. It's so, so hard to actually pinpoint what they're going to do. Luckily, we've had cool weather, which has helped set them in. And your weather's your biggest phase. And unfortunately, this year, the peak rut time that, you know, from about the 10th to the 30th is prime time because you got your pre-rut where they're chasing cows and they're wanting to bite. Then you got your peak of the rut where they're, they're herded up, they got cows, and they're coming in to cow calls consistently. And then you got, you know, where your rut starts to come downhill, which could run all the way into October. But for archery season purposes, you know, the 30th is when it ends. Mm -hmm. So and with that right kind now, go ahead. Right now, we're kind of fighting where we wanted to go later in the year because we were worried about how hot the summer has been. And because we were having 90 degree, day, 90 degree days pretty consistently for almost two months. And that's not like for around here. So we were trying to go later, but then we figured, you know, on the nocturnal side of things, as soon as the full moon sets in, 
you cut out a lot of your chances of hunting, finding these elk during the day because they will be rutting at night when they can see in the parks. Right. Yeah, I always hear about how, how tough it is if you have that full moon because the majority of your the activity is going to consist at night and then they're going to sleep during the day. Yeah, so if I had to tell anyone, if you want to try to find like prime time for rut, it's usually right before the full moon or right after the full moon, depending on how it falls in the month. Gotcha. Okay. So the middle of September is ideal. Right around the second or third week is when it really starts to pick up. Now, when you were talking about weather, can you kind of throw out some temps there? Because I feel like weather can be very relative. So like what's cold to you is definitely going to be way different than what's cold to us. Yeah. So some years we get snow. And we've had really good luck in the snow, but last couple of years when it snows in September, it shuts the elk up. They don't talk. Mm-hmm. And finding them when they're not talking in some of the thickest timber that is around here is almost impossible. You know, you, you try to go off the side, but there ain't no one out here that can walk as fast as an elk can. Right. And all it takes is we have a big problem with uh, beetle kill trees. Mm-hmm. So when it's dry everything pops and cracks everything every step you take makes noise so it makes it very difficult so when we have hot you know we can go from 75 80 degrees to 30 degrees at night to snowing the next day our weather's never consistent we can get snow 12 months out of the year that's crazy so uh when when you say all right we're gonna get we let's say you're looking at the weather right and uh, a cold snap is forecasted. Now, let's say it's been roughly 80 degrees or 70 degrees the past week. Is that cold snap going to be something that's like 30 degrees, 40 degrees? Or is it even potentially smaller than that where it only needs to drop down to like 60? It depends. It really, It's really hard to describe it because there's been days where we go from 70 at noon to 40 degrees by 6 o'clock in the evening. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not uncommon. I mean, every night it's been anywhere from 50 degrees to 32 degrees at night. There was one morning we went out and there was ice on the or on the mud puddles. <laughs> yeah, that's so, one of the wild things about the West that, like, when I was out there, it was, it was unique seeing that. Yeah, it's really hard. I mean, a meteorologist has one of the craziest jobs where they can just guess the best <laughs> they can. Because... It, there's no rhyme or reason on why our weather is the way it is. The snowy range down here in Wyoming seems to make its own weather. Mm-hmm. Like it could be 90 degrees in town, but be 30 degrees and snowing up on top. It, it sometimes it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah, I got gotcha. you. All right, so kind of run me through your tactics from early season to pre-rut, rut, and then potentially post-rut, and then let's talk about rifle season a little bit. Then, okay. So in the beginning of the early season, it's it's mainly go out and try to find as much sign as you possibly can and pinpoint your target areas, just like anywhere else. I mean, unfortunately, this year we didn't get a whole lot of time to scout, but I've hunted the same area with my family since I can remember. So I know the area, and I kind of know how the elk are going to act and stuff like that. So it's finding a lot of sign and light cow calling and seeing how they're responding because no matter what, an elk can't move through the timber silent. They'll respond to you somehow. It might be 
them breaking a tree or you'll hear them coming in. So early season, it's just a lot of cow calls that are spaced out and maybe one or two location bugles. And that's pretty much our tactic there. I mean, it's get up early, stay in late, and, you know, move around as much as possible to try to figure out where they're moving and how they're moving. Gotcha. All right. So uh, I want to rewind here a little bit. So when you're talking um, sign, what are you talking about, like, in particular? Assume assume that I've never been elk hunting before. Um, and then secondly, my second question is, are you seeing herds, as long as they're not super pressured, come back to the same locations uh, year after year? So, like, for example, if you have a good early season, let's say basin or whatever, uh, and it's not too boogered up, you can come back there next year and expect that same herd of elk to be in that basin. Yeah. As long as elk aren't pressured out by predators or people, they'll usually come back to the same area. Or within, you know, 10 miles or so. They'll be within the little section that they run. Gotcha. And the elk up here, they seem to make a loop. So when we're looking for sign, mainly we're looking for a bunch of elk track or fresh droppings, somewhere along that line. But the elk around here run in very small herds until wintertime. What's a small so herd? So you're, you're looking at tracks of like two to three head. Okay. Or a lone bull. But you just go where you find these areas where they're running through consistently. And there's, I mean, you can't mistake it. When a, when a small herd of elk comes through somewhere, it looks like a major highway. I mean, they will beat everything down in their path. Gotcha. Okay. So that's mainly what we're looking for. I mean, we got on some deer the other day. We had elk hunting the area. And when we walked in there, as soon as we got in there, we realized that we were in right where the elk were bedding almost every single night. And they're going through there and they're tearing everything up. And one of the big things, too, is you can smell them, correct? Yeah, you can smell them. That was, uh, that was one of the big eye-openers for me is, like, you're seeing, you're seeing elk sign, you're seeing elk sign, you're seeing elk sign. But it's all old until you can smell it. Yeah, so... Unfortunately, I've been sick this last week, so uh, having my brother with me has been very helpful because when we were in there looking, I mean, he stopped and immediately I could smell elk. Mm -hmm. And then next thing we know, you can see where they've been eating the mushrooms and they've been, you know, pretty much just using this one section of timber as a runway to cross the road. Gotcha. Interesting. Now, in a situation like that, I, I'm assuming you would potentially get to a glassing point and then try to look and see when they're, they're using that crossing point and like set up an ambush. Um, actually we wouldn't be able to glass it because where we're at, there's a lot of mountains mm -hmm. and where we're sitting. Yeah. We can glass a lot of breaks, but the timber's so thick in that area and it's pretty much flat. It's like a big plateau. So it would be get in there that evening, you know, when it starts to cool down, throw location bugle out, see if we get a response and go to water. That was the biggest thing this year is a lot of, I don't know, we're in a drought, but we're, we've been getting a lot of rain. It's kind of weird. Where some meadows that used to have, you know, flowing water going through them are dried up right now. Gotcha. And using the burnt timber to move through, they're on the edge of the burnt timber moving through it. Whereas before they would go pretty much anywhere. They didn't have to worry about it. They could bed down in the thickest timber and just not move. 
But right now they're finding the good sections of trees. They're bedding down in them. So we're trying to find water next to like living trees. It's very difficult this year. That's thrown a big, you know, change into what we're, our norm is. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So what are your tactics um, as you're starting to approach pre-rut cows or not cows, bulls are starting to, uh, starting to get in with cows, starting to pretty much put their harem together, that kind of stuff. And, and when does um, that occur? Uh, currently that's occurring right now. It started about two days ago is when we first started getting into health that we're talking and trying to herd up. And so I'd say about the 10th or 11th or yeah, about the 10th is when we start getting into help and pretty consistently what before they were coming in silent, you just cow call every once in a while and they would, they would come in silent and see them and that was it right now. They're at that point where the bulls are starting to fight and trying to pull cows from each other. And there's a bunch of satellite bulls running around small herds. So our tactic mainly is go into where we know that they normally would rut, which is high concentrations of food and water in a bedding area. So these big parks with thick timber around them and go in there and start throwing bugles out. And if they aren't responding to bugles, start throwing cow calls out. I mean, that, that's a, literally our only tactic. And right now they're, they're loving the bugle. They're screaming on them and they're coming in close enough that you can catch glimpses of them, but they're not pulling out of the thick timber yet. Now, what, how do you get them out of that thick timber? If like, say they're not committing, like with what you're saying, uh, is that going to be just a matter of time? Um, is that just situational reading, reading the bull, reading the situation? It's, it's reading the bull and the situation for sure. The bull we've been on the last couple of days, he really likes to come in on bugles. And we, I caught a glimpse of him, and we actually, actually kind of ran into some other hunters up there. And I didn't realize this other hunter was on this bull because they, they had snuck around us and they were moving so fast from their bugle, we thought they were an elk. Gotcha. But to pull them out of the timber, I mean, I, right now I just think it, it would take a lot of cow calling and sitting back and cutting distance. That's one of the biggest things about calling elk. If you, if you sit in one spot, they'll pinpoint you. Mm-hmm. And then they won't step out. I mean, you can look, you can smell like an elk, you can sound like an elk, but you can't look like an elk without a decoy. Right. And we do, we do, we have Montana decoys and we've used them and it's definitely caught, you know, drawn their attention, but it hasn't been enough to pull them out. I, I'm not positive. The bowl we've been on, I think it's going to take, you know, going in at him and acting like a small bull with aggression to actually make him turn and come at us. Gotcha. Now, when it comes to like actually how the biology works, right? So elk in theory are kind of like turkeys where the, the cows are supposed <laughs> to be coming to them, correct? Yes. So they, they rip off a bugle. Uh, the cow then comes in to check out the bull, decides whether or not she wants to potentially be a part of this bull's breeding uh, genetics, whatever, however you want to word it, and then we'll stay with him until uh, she's ready to breed, correct? To a point. That's how most of the time it works. Is you definitely get a lot of cows to come in to your bugles. Uh, but sometimes, I mean, you get them satellite bulls, which are, you know, your smaller rag bulls. They're not big herd bulls. They'll come in there, cow call, in a heartbeat, try to round up cows the best they can because 
just like any other animal that ruts like deer and moose and stuff like that they definitely try to force their cows into them for sure gotcha but i mean if, i mean you hit it on in the head with if you're going to compare an elk and hunt anything like an elk it's turkey and it's so weird to say that but everyone that i've talked to that hunts bulls say you know hunting elk is just like hunting turkey at the end of the day mm-hmm. gotcha, especially gotcha. with calling tactics and thought processes and everything else so now that we kind of went over like the pre-rut, let's let's talk about the rut now. When I mean the ruts in full swing, uh, the bulls are in tight to their cows. How much bugling is going on at that point when like the peak breeding is actually going on? Are, are they starting to quiet down because they're that locked into their cows, or are they fired up because they're trying to get they're basically their cows to stand still and breed? They're pretty fired up. <laughs> They, uh, there's a lot of bugling and a lot of cow talk and chirping and everything else that's going on at that moment. They're actually a lot more vocal at the peak of their rut. And, you know, that's also because they're herded up. There's a lot more communication in the herd itself. Um, but bulls usually, I mean, you can get them to pull off or you, it just depends on that bull's mood and demeanor that day. You can either get them pull off with the bugle or you can act like you're a stray cow that you know, got away from everything and, you know, potentially pull a bull out of his herd to come pull you back together. So but the ideal situation, no matter what, during the rut, is if you can get in between a bull and his cows and bugle, you're a challenger and you're in his herd. So with that, kind of the tactics would be get in as tight as possible make sure that you're paying very close attention to the wind because now you're going to have all those eyes, all those noses around you uh, from the cow's perspective is, is what I'm really referring to and see if you can get in between the cow and the bulls, the cows and the bull. Yeah, it, it's, it's very difficult. Yes. Wind plays a huge factor. And I know a lot of people don't like using or at least wearing urine cover scent. And then there's people like us who, you know, bathe in it. So I've never had to worry too much about windage because I usually stink just as bad as they do. Mm-hmm. And then, but yeah, it all them eyes, it makes it almost impossible. To, I mean, you have to catch a bull when he spurts off to go chase a little rag bull or something and cut in. And it's, it's so difficult to do. The other night, uh, I actually posted on Surfside's app, you know, the video of the calves. I was in that bull's face that night. And we blew a bugle, and he turned and walked away from us. He had no, he didn't want anything to do with that bugle. Hmm. And, I mean, I was 10 yards from his cows and calves. Now, is that more than likely because it's a touch early? Probably. I think it's just a touch early where their cows aren't in full swing of their heat. And he's thinking, oh, I'm not going to fight you over them. I'm not, you know, I'm going to pull away, and if they're going to follow me, they're going to follow me. Yeah, so like if you were to do that potentially five days from now when he's maybe bred a cow or two, that could be a totally different ball game. Yeah, I mean, it could be a different ball game tonight. We could go in there and bugle and he could be right down our throats. Mm-hmm. It, it changes so fast. I mean, we went from hearing nothing, no bugles, to the next day we went out and there were six or seven bulls bugling in this park. That's wild. That's, that's wild. Uh, I mean, there was probably 
Saturday night, I bet there was, what, probably 10, 10 or so bulls talking Jeez. within a two-mile area. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. So, uh, if you, well, we didn't get to, we didn't get to kind of the post rut now. Let's talk about the post rut strategies. And then I got a question for you, uh, afterwards. Okay. So what's going on in the post rut? What are the bulls doing? What are the cows doing? And then what are your tactics, uh, during post rut? And then like what you said, like before it's roughly like the last two weeks of September is kind of the post rut, but it'll also go into October, but in, in Wyoming, uh, archery season's over. Yeah, archery season's over, and rifle season normally begins middle of October. So it's hard to tell because they're usually still a full swing that first or that last week of September or just starting to come out. A lot of times you start looking for, you know, they'll start getting in bigger herds, and there's a lot more walking involved and, you know, using your eyes more than your legs if you can. Whereas right now with burnt timber, we can do that. But previously, it was just a lot of walking. You still get them bugling because um, elk almost get a second rut where we're at, where they kick back in and try to get the last couple cows about the first week of October. So they're still pretty vocal. They're still talking quite a bit. And they're usually starting to herd up in bigger herds. So when, when they're starting to herd up in bigger herds, what are some of the challenges that you're running into then? And as those herds get bigger, uh, what are you like? What are your tactics? Are you still kind of bugling and cow calling, or are you primarily trying to ambush? What's your plan then? Uh, it's bringing more down to a cow call and less bugling. It's as they start to come out, more cow calls and trying to just you know. Because cows will usually herd the group together. The bulls don't really do it after the post right? You know, you got your lead cow, and she kind of keeps everything aligned. So if you get a cow call and you can kind of sound more like a calf or a cow, they're very likely to come around and see, like, you know, what's going on? Why is the self by itself? So there's still a lot of calling involved, still a lot of setting up, and mainly waiting. I mean, the goal is to always ambush them and cut them off somehow. That way you're in their route of travel if possible. But it's still pretty much the same as they're coming out. I haven't really had a chance to hunt that post-rut section because it just depends on when they kick in. Gotcha. Now, what is your favorite out of those seasons per se? Which one is your favorite to hunt? And which one do you think is – well, let's let's say which is your favorite to hunt just from a hunting perspective, as in like enjoyment of the hunt, and then which do you think is your highest chance of success? Could you word that a little different, Torrance, so I know I can answer this properly for you? Sure, sure, absolutely. So out of out of all those seasons we just went through there, uh, which is your favorite to like actually just be in the woods and watch elk behavior? And then which is your favorite to actually hunt with a high percentage chance of success? Like which is going to be your, your highest uh, percent chance? Probably the pre-rut. And definitely, I, I love hunting pre-rut because the bulls are usually fired up. They're wanting to fight. They're wanting to establish their dominance. 
and you know it's in your face bugling all the time and that's that's probably one of the coolest things ever i mean i might i I have a lot of family that focuses you know you know cow call don't don't bugle as much as you do but my dad was very very good about you know hey man he's bugling get on top of him and that was that was probably one of the funnest things ever a couple years the last year i actually got to hunt with my dad before he passed away was one of the wildest years ever I mean, it was in your face screaming all, like, the last, for the first week of September, they were quiet. Ever from, or from the second to the third week, it was just in your face. They were screaming. They were fighting. I mean, you'd pull up into a meadow, and they didn't even care that you were there. They were fighting in the middle of the meadow. And that's one of the coolest things. You know, the truck would be sitting there running, head back, bugling, running at the pickup when you just parked. <laughs> and that, I got on my 20th birthday i got to shoot at a bull elk with my dad which was the last elk i ever got to shoot at with my dad and i mean phenomenal bull we were driving down the road my dad was a disabled hunter he had a handicap permit where he could shoot from the truck and we were just trying to get him an elk that's all that mattered we were heading off to dinner for my birthday we had about 45 minutes left of daylight i look over and i said dad there's a cow I turned my truck into the bar ditch. I got him on the side, and here comes a monster bull elk running out of the aspen trees, head back, bugling right head onto my truck. And excitement took over. I took I had taken my release off. We were only about 15 minutes from the restaurant. And my dad said, you know what? Shoot him. He handed me a crossbow. And I shot, made a bad shot, and ended up chasing that bull for three days. Jeez. But, I mean, pre-rut is probably one of the coolest times when they're fighting, they're screaming, the cows are chirping, everything's moving, and the weather's still not miserable. So once the rut rolls around, there's maybe a little bit less talk, or it's just a matter of just dealing with crappy weather? It, it's There's just as much talk, and the weather's not exactly 100% crappy. It just starts to snow about that time, and I don't particularly care to be out wet and snow all the time. Yeah. Exactly. But uh, they're just not responding to bugles. They're not wanting to fight as much up here. And that, that makes a huge difference for me. Like, I enjoy calling them in regardless of what call I use. But when they're wanting to fight and they come screaming and they're running in, they don't care about anything else in the world, that's what I like. And you just it seems up here when the rut's in full swing, they don't do that. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> so now that we've kind of talked about like the archery season, let's talk about the hunting or the rifle season here a little bit. So you said it starts around the second week of October? Up here it starts October 15th and runs through the 31st. Okay. So. So. Go ahead. Rifle season's a bit different up here. Um. Like I said, it's kind of hard to last. There's a lot of area back behind where we're at on the opposite side of the mountain range where there's actually potential to glass a lot of area. And it goes, it's right where the mountain starts to come off and break down into the sage, uh, sage plains. And that's, it's a lot of walking up here. I mean, that's all it breaks down to. Rifle season has always been a lot of walking. And I think that's why I dislike rifle hunting so much is we cover so much ground on foot just on the hope of seeing an elk. Now, 
are you dealing with a lot of pressure as well during rifle season? Like kind of break down like archery I, hunters I versus rifle at, hunters. I say at least double the pressure than during archery season. Okay. And you got you got to think deer have been getting shot at for 14 days at this point in time. The elk are skittish. They're not wanting to have anything to do with people. I mean, you could be driving down the road, look over, and be like, oh, hey, look, there's an elk. But you're heading into your hunt. And it's gone by the time you think to stop. So the, it seems like this year, you know, we've gotten really lucky almost every time we've left camp to head out on our evening hunts, we end up seeing deer. And these deer aren't skittish right now. They're, you know, you stop and you can, uh, this morning we were driving in or driving to breakfast actually from our elk hunt. And there was a little, you know, four corn two point standing on the side of the hill. He just stood there while we sat at the bottom of the hill for probably about 20 minutes. You know, so they're not skittish right now, but as soon as that first gunshot goes off, it's it's done and over with. The, they all know what's going on. The deer know what's going on. And they start, you know, dispersing. But rifle season up here also has a huge factor of if it snows or not. Because every elk I've killed up here has been after or during the snowstorm. Now, is that just getting them up, getting them up off their feet because of all the pressure uh they're mostly nocturnal at that point or yeah they're they're mostly nocturnal during rifle season and you know they're not running they're in their you know they're smaller herds and then right towards the end of rifle season you start getting the herds of the two three hundred head that are moving down off the mountains to start going to their winter ground okay so our elk start going they shut all of our winter grounds down up here uh to where it's only foot traffic as of october 1st so, I mean, our elkers after rut are starting to go into their winter mode. And that first heavy snowstorm that usually happens in October, they're going off the mountain into the breaks. And that's where you normally catch them. So when it snows and the sun breaks, the best place to be is right on the edge of Timberline. And you're just catching them, basically transitioning. Yeah, you catch them as they're moving from one location to the next. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. That makes sense. So, uh, Johnny, we're working on an hour here and I kind of want to start wrapping up, but, uh, what would be your recommendations for one, not only a first time elk hunter, but maybe somebody that's going to be coming out to Wyoming or out West in general in the next two weeks. Uh, what, what's currently, like you said before, uh, the pre-ruts just really starting to kick off where you're at in Wyoming. What would be your recommendations? What would you tell somebody that's coming to you for advice? Well, first recommendation would be is definitely get on Wyoming Game and Fish website and look at units and success rates in units. It gives you a huge amount of information on how many bulls were taken out of that area last year, how many hunters hunted it, how many consecutive days between hunters were was it used, and it'll give you an idea of how much pressure. Um, how many bulls are potentially taken, look at herd unit size. And, I mean, that's the sad part about up here. It's roughly 800 people hunted every year, and there might only be 30 bulls taken out in that year. But the herd unit size is, you know, 2,000 head. So that would be the first step. Definitely, definitely do your homework. Definitely get on Onyx. Do your scouting. Find, uh, you know, water. And 
heavy, thick timber surrounding said water because they're going to want to bed down because it's still kind of warm right now and they're going to want to be in the shade. I would definitely, if they're coming out as of right now, I would definitely suggest, you know, bring a good cow call, bring clothes that can vary from snow to, you know, summertime weather and bring a good bugle and be willing to, you know, move around and try to locate these bulls. So what are some of those calls that you like? So I run, personally, I run all Phelps calls. So I have their young and calf call, and then I have a couple of their bugle tubes with like the Maverick diaphragm and pretty much any of their amp series diaphragms. And then I run their new metal tube with the easy bugler on it. And that's my lo- my locator. That's hands down the loudest bugle I've ever had in my life. And it, you can change it. You can do perfect growls with it. You can get aggressive or you can be quiet. And that's what I personally run. Um, any mouth call, I mean, even a hoochie mama by Primos works phenomenal. Just don't overcall is what it comes down to because you can get them and you can see them like, oh man, I called in an elk, but they won't close that distance with a bow. You know, they'll come check it out. Like, why in the world is this cow talking every three minutes? Hold on, and- hold on. Let me let me stop you there, John. So what, what would you consider overcalling? Because somebody that's never been there isn't going to probably understand what overcalling is. So the way I was taught, we have a pretty good baseline. You know, bugle the last 30, unless the bulls are screaming, bugle the last 30 minutes of daylight. And right now they're screaming. And other than that, a cow call every 10 minutes or a series of three every 10 minutes. So, um, that's what I would break it down to. And if they're not responding to that, you know, you, you have to lengthen it out to maybe every 15 to 20 minutes, depending on where you're at. Because I can only speak for where I'm sitting currently. Gotcha. And that a good 10 to 15 minute range on your cow calls. And if you are bugling only every 15 to 20 minutes, unless they're in your face, and then it's at your discretion, get on top of them, start bugling on top of them, cut the distance. And that is one of the biggest things when it comes to calling. If they bugle and you bugle off your locate, you know, cut 300 yards out of it and bugle again. And see how much they cut or if they're moving away from you. And, you know, if they're moving away from you, maybe pull back and not bugle so much and cow call every, you know, 10, 15 minutes as you walk down through the timber. And everyone tries to think, you know, be as silent as possible when you're trying to call elk. And that's true to an extent, but no elk is silent. You know, don't be afraid to grab a stick and rake a tree or break some twigs when you're walking in because no elk's going to walk through the timber side. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think definitely coming from uh, even even with whitetails, too, like you got to think about it when when let's say you're rattling in whitetails, people just rattle antlers together, but they don't understand that there's a whole bunch of other commotion that comes with it uh leaves sticks breaking like that whole deal so with what you're saying i think that's a great tip to uh pay attention to um make it sound like you're an actual elk yeah because that's one thing that i ran into a lot growing up and trying to learn how to call elk is it's you hit a call and you sit in one spot and you hit a call and then they come in and they pinpoint you and they see there's no elk there you know it's game over mm-hmm and unless you're in thick, heavy timber, they're they're going to hang up at 100 yards and stop and 
almost never give you a call opportunity. Whereas if you can thrash and crash and, you know, make all the racket you can that they're, you know, just as much as they're making, they're going to respond to it differently. I mean, we've had years where they don't even Google, just rake the tree, they rake the tree. You know, that's just what it came down to. Right, right. So, yeah, that's one thing that, you know, whitetail hunting, you know, I know there's a lot of rattling and grunt calls and stuff like that, but that's where I've always, you know, struggled whitetail hunting is you're in a blind or in a tree stand and you're not able to make motion when you're calling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that uh, makes it tough just from the whitetail side, even though that's not primarily with what we're talking about, but for sure. So, um, John, where, where can the listeners get a hold of you? Do you want to drop and plug your social media so that if, if they have any questions, uh, if they're coming out to Wyoming here in the next couple of weeks, they can get a hold of you, ask you some questions. Um, maybe they just want to talk elk hunting or mule deer hunting in general out West. What's the best way to get in contact with you? Um, yeah. So my Instagram is, uh, Y O W Y O underscore Hunter underscore 96 or my email, which is uh, westerndreams05 at gmail.com. That's 05, correct? Yep, 05. Okay. I will have uh, both in uh, John's contacts in the show notes. John, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your hunt to hop on. Good luck tonight. Shoot a freaking slob, man. Yeah, it was so hard not to shoot a calf the other night. Just to get me, <laughs> but... I, I had to pass it up. Yeah, you still got some time yet, right? Uh, kind of. I, I've been working six days a week, and I'm coming up on the end of my vacation now. So, yeah, well, that that calf might be uh, looking awful tempting here in the next day or so, huh? Yeah, they'll start being delicious. You know, if my brother <laughs> starts sharing some elk steak. I might be more tempted to shoot one. Yep, yep, exactly. All right, buddy. So. Uh, I'll let you get after it and get back to glass. And again, I really appreciate you getting on. Yeah, no problem. Thank you, Torrance. Yep. Thank you, everybody, for listening in to the Whitetail Theories podcast.